0: Welcome to Smarter Selling Podcast. Are you a sales leader who wants to learn the latest in sales psychology, mindset, and strategies so you can enhance your own as well as your team's skills, performance, and results? You're in the right place. Now, let's hear from sales expert, sales trainer, and founder of Smarter Selling, Charmaine Keegan. So today's topic, we're talking about how to turn an objection into a sale. So, Charmaine, why is handling objections always such a hot topic?
1: Oh, my goodness. I should think me and my team get asked about handling objections five times a day and and different reasons. I think sales leaders see this objection, this roadblock, this brick wall as the reason the sale didn't come in. So they're focused on that and they want their team to be able to handle that, take that wall down, take that roadblock away. And they think if these three objections that the client has got, or the client's telling you could be a completely different set of objections that really got, that they think to themselves, if these three objections are sorted, then we'll get the business. Are they right if they handle these three objections? I mean, will they begin to convert? Yes and no. Look, someone else has got the business because they've done a lot of things right. It could be from the way they approach them. Let's just say, Jack over there, Jack has got the business. Jack doesn't work for your business, right? So Jack got the business with the client. Jack may have approached them differently, answered the phone differently, responded to a form more efficiently, may have set themselves up as an authority in their field. Jack got in first best dressed. He formed a relationship. He was seen as a trusted advisor. His tone, his manner, his approach, he asked lots of questions. He cared about the client. He's authentic because he generally wants what's right from the client you know not trying to sell at the client so it could just be that somebody else has done all the right things and your member of your team just hasn't done those things. it's a whole list of things before the objections is a whole consequence of the journey and on the other hand no you know your rep doesn't need to know how to handle objections they need to know how to sell your rep needs to know the full sales journey because asking, can you help my team handle objections, a bit like a chef asking how to ice the cake. It's like, okay, you may have great icing on the cake. But that's not representative of the, how the whole cake tastes, you know. So your rep needs to know the whole journey and not just that section of the sale and not just the bit about how to handle these three objections. They need to know all the moving parts, um, including what happens when an objection comes up. So I wonder, what are the three main objections? So there's about 21 regular objections that come up and the top three always tend to be no money, no time to see a rep. And the third one is, well, I'd buy it, but, you know, my partner, my husband, the other, you know, decision maker isn't on board, right? So in terms of handling those, two are the same thing. No money, and no time. Death means quite simply, they have not seen the value in what you have because people find the money and they find the time for things they value. So your timing could be off, but I would say 99% of the time, it's just because the way the rep has approached them means that the client has not seen the value to make time to get that problem sorted. And that's what reps need to work on. How do I make sure what we have as a solution is very clearly of value to that client. And if I ring up the client and the client says they haven't got the time, how do I make sure that I've got the answers which makes them go, well, next time this happens in your business and you need us, we're here. But those two together, no money, no time, quite simply, the top-line answer for that is the client has not seen the value. Because once you see the value in anything, you make the time and you find the money. And look, people move money around. That's a really important thing to remember. When they realize the value and worth of what you have, they will move money around and they will find the money. People find the money. I think that a key thing here is remember people find money for things they value so they may say my i've only got a thousand dollars and your offering might be eight thousand for example but that's quite simply down to you haven't asked all the right questions to ascertain their needs their wants their desires their beliefs you haven't understood their situation you haven't gone in beside them as the sort of you know, trusted advisor as a partnership. You haven't gone in equal to them. You know, a lot of reps go in below them, like subservient. Thank you so much for the meeting. Thank you so much for seeing And They're not they're not seen as an equal. And it's very important that you go in as an equal, that you've got all the questions that the clients could go, well, that's actually more important than I thought it was because it's going to save me time or save me money or make us look good or fulfil this pain point that I have. And then while you're asking those questions, there's a point when... Your question because you're because you're so in, in a bubble with them and your your intent is to help them, there's a question they haven't thought of before. And that question is going to change the energy immediately between you. And what actually happens is the client leans in and then goes, Oh, that's a good point. Can you help? Now the whole energy's changed. Now you are what we call the authority. If you think of a scale, you're above them now, just slightly above them. They're looking up to you for answers, which now means what? You can educate them. When you've earned that right, now you're in a position to educate them. Now they'll listen to you because before that, You might be a rep that's after their money. But if your intent is going in beside them to be an extension of their business, I'm here to help you. Let's find out about your situation. You've got all your preparation done. You're acting professional in every single thing you do, right, way before the meetings even happened. How you sent a calendar invite, how you sent an email beforehand, how you reached out with questions. Every single touch point you have has been intelligent and sophisticated and they see you already as a professional. But there'll be something in that meeting where they think, "Wow, actually, this person knows their onions that can really help me. And then you're the authority. Then you can bring up those things they mentioned and others that you think they are going to mention as in objections and you can educate them. And that's the key thing. Those two money and looking back to that money and time is discounted. They can't see the value. And the third one, which is I would do, but my partner says no, it is rubbish. You didn't form a relationship. You didn't know what they wanted. You would probably Turning up and throwing up. You probably not treated that client any differently for the last 10 or the next 10. And they felt it. And some other rep has gone in and engaged better, done all the touch points better, been genuinely about them, not trying to sell at them. And they are bought in. So, because remember, a lot of reps are still in this old school, which is, I need to get through to the decision maker. And what's happening now is the website, it takes out the job of the rep, the first job of the rep which is form a relationship and realise that you're the place to go to. So by the time someone's engaged with you, often they've seen your website and they've done some research already. So the job of a rep has now evolved. That rep is now there to answer questions and educate and be the trust authority and be the solution provider. So the rep's job has gone up a couple of notches. It does have to be more intelligent. The way they act and engage has to be different. So remember, you're seeing Jennifer. Jennifer's got to sell it onto whatever, her partner, her husband, somebody else in the business. A lot of reps 20 years ago would say, get around Jennifer, right? She's an obstacle. Get to the decision maker who's John behind her, for example. And you, you've, got to, you've got to change that. As far as you're concerned, Jennifer is the decision maker because she is, because she may have reached out to seven different potential customers, you know, which you are, um, suppliers. So she may have reached out to seven different suppliers. And now she is working out which one would do the right job for me. And then she would take – forward probably three of those to John behind her Mm. so what we need to first of all realize is Jennifer is the decision maker that has to just that penny has to drop for Rex because the moment Jennifer thinks that you think differently she'll feel it and it will be in everything you act and say and do and you might even say and I heard a Rex say just the other week are you the decision maker well immediately you've told Jennifer you don't sound like it you know immediately you've just put her down a few pegs so Jennifer is the decision maker because Jennifer's working out who do I trust, who's reliable, who's consistent, who does what they, you know, who's going to do what they say they're going to do, who has put forth the right solution that I would then take through to John and between us we'll discuss it. Yeah. So what's happened here in the I would do but my partner isn't on board or the other decision maker really means that Jennifer wasn't sold. To go back a few steps... Phase one, we call it, you have to be sold. (laughs) And then phase two, when you're engaging with somebody, in this case it's Jennifer, you've got to make sure that they are sold and you've got to look at them in the eye, you are going to watch them and hear them on the phone and go, are they really sold? And then they might now be sold on what you have, right? Let's just say you sell A, B and C and they're now sold and coming to you for A, B and C. You've now got to arm Jennifer that when she talks to John, She's also understanding that John might have different outcomes. You might say to her at some point, oh, you've mentioned John a couple of times. If he was in this meeting now, what would he need to know about what questions and clarity would he need to have? And then you're going to get Jennifer to think like that. Basically, Jennifer needs to be sold and what would normally happen, the normal thing of affairs would be she would say, oh, you know what, Charmaine, I'll actually tee you up now with John. And they feel that you're the authority and they would tee you up with the next person. And if they don't you can probably feel to yourself, she's not yet hundred percent sold or she's acting sold, but does she really now know enough about my solution and how it's going to suit them to sell it internally? Because obviously Jennifer's now like the ambassador of your business in her business. So she's got to know it inside out, upside down, and at least the three ways to sell it on to John so that John is also sold. So you may say to me, Jennifer, okay, I'll send you an email out. Because typically what happens now is I'll send you an email, having those things that we mentioned. So you've got clarity and you're confident about our solution. And I'll put those three answers for John as well because you've mentioned John a couple of times and if you want to forward it, of course, if either of you have any questions or clarity, I'll be happy to help you. But that's the type of thing, that whole objection of like, oh, I would but somebody else won't, it's just a fib. They don't know what to say. Oh, Saying that, there's the odd occasion that it's real but you'll know. You know, be one in every thousand. They'll go, oh my goodness, I'm completely into it. So I can see how this is going to work, and they tell you all your features and benefits back and how it's going to suit them. And they go, but I just cannot get through to John. Can you help me get through to John? What What else can you do because he's stuck on this return on investment, or he's stuck on this, 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 or he absolutely loves the way the competitor does this. Can you guys do that, or can you look into that? And the way they act is quite different, quite different. You, you'll know if it's genuine because of that. But in most cases. Yeah, it's because they're not 100% sold and they, therefore they can't sell it all.
0: Yeah, makes so much sense. I wonder is it hard for a client
1: to give an objection? Yes, hugely hard. Many of them won't give that at all. Um, what what they're going to say, Jack came in and he was better dressed than you. And he was 10 minutes early. He built better rapport. He bought six things you didn't bring. He asked more intelligent questions. You turned up and threw up. You know, they could be, what they're going to say to you, they may not even know why they want to give the business to Jack. They just have a feeling in their gut as a client that that's right. So reps have to be totally present and aware on every single step. So when they're in a meeting with a client, that's where they've got to get to, to be totally present and aware.
0: I wonder, is that hard for reps to be totally present and aware?
1: Yes. Yes, it is. Why is that? Um, I think some are high because they're old school good talkers. So they think their job is to go to go in and talk, as I said, show up and throw up, or we call it spray and pray. Like we turn up and tell all the client all the reasons they need to buy of us. Some reps don't like conflict, so they've got their happy years on and their, you know, vaseline edged vision. And the client might be given all the signals they have a problem or they prefer somebody else or they're asking questions, which clearly means somebody else has gone in and put forward their solution. And the reps are just not picking up on it because they're just not present. And the reason is that some reps are just so ill-prepared. I'd say 99% of reps are just not prepared enough. They're not organised themselves. They haven't done their homework. They're not planned. They haven't usually practised. So they haven't thought about what questions to ask the client, what questions they're going to ask them. Nothing about the interaction is showing the client that they are a standout rep that's head and shoulders above anything else. And, of course, the problem with that is their mind, their, their headspace is on their own presentation and what they're going to say. It is not present with the client and reading the signals, and that's the biggest problem.
0: Yeah, so important. I love that you've shared that with us. So, in summary, what can a sales leader do to help their team with objections?
1: That's a good one. I think the first thing they can do every single day is get the rep sold on what they're selling. You know, if the rep isn't sold, what's going to happen is they're going to talk at the client because they don't want the client to ask any questions. So, every day you have evidence. You talk about good emails you've got in. Someone who said to you, Oh my goodness, we, t- we took your thing last week, and this is now what's happened to our business, or this is what we've now achieved. So, you need to be up to your eyeballs in evidence, and you share those wins daily with your team so they understand ah, oh, I understand the value and worth of what I have to the client. So you've got to anchor them because in most cases, the reason objections come up is actually because the first objections in the rep's head, they're not solved themselves. That's the first problem. Then the second thing, so you've got your evidence. The second thing is then making sure that the reps have, brainstormed, really, practiced all the different obstacles that come up. You may not even call them objections. You may just call them obstacles. And so you you, you put them all down. You'd have a brainstorm with your team. I'd have it at least once a week. Write them all down. No one judges each other. These are the different roadblocks that may come up, have come up in the past, that may come up in the future. And then the first thing you do as a leader is say to a rep, why do you think that would come up? Why do you think that particular objection would come up? And what the rep is likely to say is, hmm, because when I went to engage with them, I actually projected it on them or I brought it up as a problem. I mean, a lot of reps say quite negative language, like, oh, we can't do that. Of course, the warranty won't kick until then. If you really listen to them, there's quite a lot of negative language. So bringing to the forefront of a rep's mind, why does the client think that that's a problem? Like, could we have emailed them beforehand answering that particular obstacle could we have sent them a link to something on linkedin like what can we do to make sure we're prepared like look at look at the crm have, has it come up before with other people that work in that business is it an obvious the thing is is it an obvious obstacle but your reps just going in and ignoring it right so the reps have to realize they have to embrace all these obstacles it's part of life there's never gonna be a case where it's smooth sailing so I think the way, as, as a leader, the way we have to approach it is we have to be happy. We have to be upbeat. We have to realize that objections are normal. We have to be open to them and let our team be open. We can't be in the in the trenches with our arms out wide going, oh, the competitor. I don't even call the competitor the competitor. I say, oh, of course the client could have other options. And it's not the client's job to know the other alternatives and the features and benefits and the points of difference. It's our job to educate them. And, of course, that's what an objection is. It means it's a call for education. You should be really grateful the clients brought it up. So as a sales leader, give them evidence every single day. Number two, go through all the different objections. I remember when I was 20 and a sales leader in a team, I'd come in with the coffees and I had hadn't handed each coffee to somebody on their desk. I would say, haven't got the money. The next one I'd go, haven't got the time. Don't need it. Your competitor's cheaper. And we just practiced every single day for five minutes on how to handle those common objections. And it meant when it happened in real life, the rep wasn't leaning back and ignoring it. The rep was leaning in and understanding and can then empathise and go to the client. Oh, that's a good point. And they had tone and they had a way around it so that they didn't feel defensive because it's a big thing that reps get. They get very defensive. And mainly as a leader, what you could do is teach your team the whole sales journey Mm -hmm. to realise that an objection won't come up if you've done everything else right and you've actually understood it earlier. In other words, As the conversation has started with that client, you're aware already of the five obstacles that client may have. And as you are questioning them, you are answering them. So it's already answered. There shouldn't just be a separate moving part, which is objections to handle. It happens naturally throughout the whole engagement. And that's what you could do as a sales leader. Get your team excited about objections. It means it's basically, yeah, a way to educate them. You've been listening to
0: Smarter Selling Podcast, Want to have a highly skilled and confident team that'll create and leverage more opportunities for your business so you can get more sales? Our sales training programs will show you and your team how. To find out more, go to smarterselling.com.au.